0: We're back. My next guest is an independent researcher in the matter of the Kennedy assassination and other matters. He's one of the few people to have actually seen the autopsy materials of President John Kennedy, which are held in the National Archives. He received special permission by the Kennedy family attorneys to do this. He's Dr. Gary Aguilar. He's a professor of ophthalmology at Stanford University and has a private practice in eye surgery in San Francisco. Dr. Aguilar, you're one of the small number of physicians outside the government who've been allowed to see the autopsy photographs and x-rays. After doing so, and reviewing the testimony of Dallas doctors and autopsy pathologists, what was your conclusion?
1: Well, I just don't think the official findings is correct. I mean, the official findings can't possibly be correct.
0: Uh, Well, why not?
1: Either the Warren Commission's findings were right, and then the currently accepted view is wrong. Or they're both wrong. Uh, they're both not right. Okay. Uh, there are huge discrepancies between the two. All right. And the irony is that it, 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 it's always been conclusions first, evidence to support the conclusions later. Yeah. Now, now the, uh, the, uh, Let me let me remind you that the House Select Committee on Assassinations agreed there had been a conspiracy, but it still tied Oswald to having been the only guy that that that, that actually hit Kennedy with a bullet.
0: Can okay, let me kind of clarify a couple things. My understanding is critics in the Warren Commission, back in the 60s, said the non-fatal back wound was lower than the Warren Commission's official findings. They said it was uh, quite a bit lower.
1: Yeah, no, I think they were right. Okay. And, and, you know, we had good reasons for it then. I mean, first of all, you, you had a lot of witnesses who saw it, uh, that wound, uh, yeah. a couple of Secret Service agents saying it was below the shoulder. You had a number of other people saying it was below the shoulder. You had Jack Kennedy's clothing. And it was five and three quarters inches below the collar. Okay. And his shirt had a bullet hole that was also five and about five and a half inches uh, lower than the collar. Now maybe you get a jacket to ride up five inches, but I don't think you're going to get a uh, uh, a shirt to ride up.
0: Those pictures we saw back in the '60s showing a wound that looks like it's at the nape of the neck that uh, that was misrepresenting reality.
1: Oh, that's clearly been represented. Even the autopsy photographs show the wound lower than that. They basically were trying to tie Oswald to this crime. To the Warren Commission, they just have diagrams of how it was done. And sure enough, you know, the bullet's higher in the back and coming out a little bit lower in the neck, being shot from above and behind. Well, it turns out that the, bull- the entrance wound is lower than that. Hmm. You know, what does all mean? Oh, I, you know, the, the irony here about the medical evidence in Kennedy case is that uh, both the Warren Commission and later investigators, you know, no matter what the evidence shows, all said, oh, yes, Oswald definitely did it. Yeah. So if the bullet's going downward, Oswald did it. If the bullet's going upward, Oswald still did it. So it doesn't matter. I mean, it, you know, it, it's always been a funny thing in this case where conclusions first, and then let's see how we can fit Oswald into the conclusions we've
0: derived. So you, you conclude that you don't have a problem with the fact that it might have gone in low and then come out higher than it went in. Right. I mean, because bullets do, bullets do change directions. You know, there's
1: always a certain amount of fudge factoring in this.
0: I, my, my assumption would be that the great problem with this from the official viewpoint would have been if it went in low and came out high, it was traveling low to high, and then maybe would have escaped the car, struck the front of the car, gone elsewhere, but certainly might not have gone, gone on to hit the governor sitting in front of Kennedy.
1: Yeah, now, I mean, let's, let's understand this. I mean, I think you've hit on a real good point. You know, real simply... As you said, and that bullet could have gone in low and then maybe been deflected upward slightly, and so it does actually carve a path that's slightly upward through Kennedy, even though it was, may have been coming down at a slight angle uh, when it hit him. But then what happens to the bullet? Now remember, it goes into the right side of Kennedy and comes out of his midline, so that means it's heading toward the left. Well, Connolly's sitting in front of him, but... Because it's now traveling, you know, upward a little bit, and because it's also traveling leftward a little bit, there's no way it could have hit the governor who's sitting directly in front of Jack Kennedy. That just doesn't make any sense at all. In all likelihood, it just flew out of the car or maybe banged, uh, uh, you know, the rearview mirror that had a big ding in it. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, I don't see any possibility of the single-bullet theory where one bullet went through both men, uh, carving, uh, you know, seven on, uh, injuries, uh, single-bullet, all right. The, the problem was they ran out of ammunition. That's why they had to settle for that. <laughs> All
0: right. I, I know that's important to the case, but but, but I, I did want to ask you, you, you as, as a medical expert who's seen these materials, uh, what's your final conclusion about that, that fatal wound?
1: Well, the fatal wound is a, is a tough one. He's got a skull wound, um, and that was what he died from. He was hit in the head. He might have survived the, 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 the back wound, but the skull wound was a massive wound, and and there's tremendous controversy about that because there's a real discrepancy between what the autopsy photographs show, which is essentially that there was no damage whatsoever to the backside of Jack Kennedy's head, and what all the witnesses said. Now, we're not yeah. talking about, you know, casual witnesses who saw him driving by in a limousine. We're talking about the brain surgeons that examined him in Dallas. We're talking about a lot of other trauma surgeons that examined him at the hospital and he was taken there. And also the witnesses were at the, at the morgue.
0: Now you've and, spoken. You actually have spoken with some of those people. You've spoken well, quite with a few,
1: quite a number of them, yeah. actually. And uh, I, in fact, I spoke to the autopsy surgeons. Uh, a recording of my conversations with uh, with them is available at the National Archives. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, but the nut of it is that you have between both the doctors that treated him at Dallas Hospital and other witnesses, such as nurses, good credible witnesses, in a medical situation, and the other witnesses at the morgue. They're like forty people. And these 40 people all said, oh, Kennedy had a big gaping wound in the back side of his head.
0: When you, when you, when you saw these autopsy photos, could you, could you clarify in your own mind how this all must have fit together?
1: People that are credible, believable, brain surgeons, other kinds of doctors, nurses with lots of experience, all saying he's got a hole in the back of his head. Right. And photographs that don't show one. Well, you know... It may be that, that, I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. Uh, either they somehow reconstructed Jack Kennedy's head from the time he left uh, the hospital in Dallas to the time he got to where <laughs> the photographs were taken.
0: Which some people have contended, I believe.
1: You are, uh, you know, there's an author out there named David Lifton who thinks you can reconstruct a scalp that way. But <laughs> as, as a doctor uh-huh. who's, who's operated on lots of injured scalps um, uh, in a earlier part of my career, you can't make a, a really blasted scalp look like Jack Kennedy's looked in those photographs. You just can't do it. Period. Well, uh,
0: well, um, what do you conclude from? Well, that? then,
1: then, so then, that leaves two other possibilities. One is that the way the scalp is being held, it could be that the backside of Jack Kennedy's head is torn open, but they're holding the scalp. Back over it, with, because they are holding it in position, and that's what some of the doctors say. The doctors who were at the morgue say, "Well, they were holding the scalp back in position so that they could, you know, show you a tiny little bullet hole in, uh, in the scalp there." The other one is they may have just tampered with the autopsy photographs, and I certainly think that that's a, a reasonable possibility.
0: All right, um...
1: you know, it doesn't matter whether you know one believes they tampered with the photographs or not, so much because you know, just as an aside, they did tamper with other evidence. We know that. They've destroyed evidence in this case. Uh, witnesses have been intimidated in this case. There have been false affidavits signed in this case. Lots of you know lots of monkey business in this case. So, but the key thing is that the wounds are such that Oswald probably couldn't have inflicted them with us from his perch up on the sixth floor of the School Book
0: Depository. Now, now, now I, I, I've heard your lectures on this topic, and you make a point that the doctors in in Parkland, the emergency physicians that were trying to treat the poor president, to, who had a fatal injury, who was not going to live, but they did they did their best to do what they could in 1963, um, they felt that the wound looked as though he'd been shot from the front. Oh, yeah, there was several a, of
1: them were convinced of that.
0: And there was a large hole in the bat, right rear of the head, uh, behind the right ear, basically.
1: You know, I mean, it's one thing if, if, if a witness has no experience, doesn't really look at the patient and comes up with something like this, but... The brain, the treating brain surgeon, a professor of neurosurgery yeah. who pronounced Jack Kennedy dead, he described a gaping wound in the back of Jack Kennedy's head, and he used the term occipital, and he used the term uh, cerebellum, which is a, a lobe of the brain that's way in the back, bottom part of the of the skull.
0: I, I believe you found it quite quite difficult to imagine that uh, if they got the location wrong, why would the part of the brain that's supposed to be right under that location be also visible? It's hard to uh, hard to. Hard to discount this. Well,
1: I think it it was a pretty con- consistent scene to them. The back of the head, there's cerebellum, everything fits to them. But then later on, all of a sudden, we have, you know, apparently, uh, uh, brain photographs from the autopsy that don't seem to show anything thing to the damage to the
0: backside of the head. When you in your in your article that you wrote uh, for for Jim DiGenio and Lisa Pease in the book The Assassinations, where you talked about some of this, you mentioned the fact that there's some missing. Missing photos. Everyone's everyone's saying the autopsy doctors and the technicians are saying, well, we took some other photos. That Well, where are they?
1: This is a very interesting story. You know, they took a bunch of photographs, but the autopsy doctors, uh, at the time they testified at the Warren Commission, which is a number of months after the autopsy, of course, never saw the autopsy photographs. They only saw them when the Justice Department dragged them up to take a look at them because there were increasing reports in the mainstream media Questioning the Warren Commission and, they, and the Justice Department behind the scenes said, "Well, let's uh, let's see if we can't uh, stop this speculation right now." So they brought the doctors in, showed them the autopsy photographs for the first time, and then there's a memo between the uh, between LBJ, the President of the United States, and Ramsey Clark, Chief Justice, and both of these guys are talking to each other, saying, "Well, you know, there is this." photograph that Dr. Humes mentioned in his uh, Warren Commission testimony, a photograph of the interior of the chest uh, that doesn't seem to be in the collection. Yeah. But don't worry, we're not worried about it because we've had them all sign an affidavit saying none of the photographs are missing. So here you have a quiet conspiracy where the President of the United States and the Chief Justice of the United States are conspiring to suppress from the public knowledge that Dr. Humes said an autopsy photograph was missing, and they give him an affidavit to sign any signs it, saying, oh, no, they're all here. They all said, oh, yeah, there were photographs that we took that are missing. One of the things we found out is that every one of the persons involved in the taking and developing of uh, the, uh, the autopsy photographs have said that there's something wrong with them, that at least, at a minimum, some have said they've been tampered with. But others uh, say that they're uh, autopsy photographs missing.
0: Are the photos next rays I mean, you've seen these materials. I mean, are you, are you suggesting that uh, you have a strong suspicion they're faked, altered?
1: Well, you know, there is a real problem with them that that most people don't seem to talk about, and that is the autopsy doctors were told, you need to get bullet evidence on this case. You know, go in and do the autopsy, get some bullet evidence. The uh, supposed assassin Oswald was still alive, and so that evidence would have been very important. So they charged into the autopsy room to get that bullet evidence, and there is one very large bullet fragment on the x-rays now, the largest one in Jack Kennedy's body. It's in his head. There's no mention of it. They talk about having fished around for other fragments and did pull out fragments that were less than a quarter as large as this yeah. bullet fragment that is a round, circular fragment, smack dab in the backside of Jack Kennedy's head.
0: Which just happens to fit I mean,
1: You can't miss it. You, you project it on a slide to a room full of people who aren't even doctors, and they say, well, what's that big round thing? And, of course, uh, this is what they were sent in there to get. And there's evidence, to suppose, that the x-rays have been tampered with.
0: Let's talk about that, you, you've, you've, your colleague, Dr. David Mantic, and you have talked about that, I know, at, at some length.
1: This is the dog that didn't bark. Why, on the night of the autopsy, when they're sent in there to find bullet evidence, do they leave the largest fragment in the, in the present alone?
0: So what are you saying?
1: Well, I think that that, in addition to the work that uh, David Mantic has done, uh, he's a physician who happens to have a PhD in physics in the University of Mich- Michigan. You know that he's, his his uh, study suggests that that fragment was added later.
0: Well, it it sounds like a terrible mess, Doctor Aguilar. Why why didn't why can't we just go take the brain and and settle this this question this controversy once and for all?
1: Well, would that we could. Uh, but the brain's missing, and uh, uh, its exact whereabouts uh, is the subject of lots of controversy. It may be that actually, in fact, the Kennedy family had something to do with making the brain disappear, but. Despite the the fact that we don't have it now, the evidence we do have about that brain uh, about that brain, uh, even that evidence doesn't make any sense. Um, let's just put the Kennedy's brain in some context here. They took the brain out on the night of the autopsy. all the people standing around the morgue, including the autopsy surgeons uh, and other people who were you know trained professionals, uh, technicians and lab assistants and so on, said that a huge chunk of the right side of Jack Kennedy's brain is missing. And, of course, you look at the uh, it's a Bruder film, and you can see all this stuff blowing out of the right side of Jack Kennedy's head. So it makes sense. Uh, you see the stuff blowing out of his head. Uh, the story was Jackie Kennedy was carrying a chunk of Jack Kennedy's brain uh, uh, into the hospital after he was shot, and there was brain splattered all over Dealey Plaza with people being hit with bits of it. And he gets there to the morgue, and there's uh, you know a lot of it uh, reported being missing. Well, the the brain in the the autopsy photographs weighs more than a normal brain, and the photographs don't show any brain substance missing. They show it's kind of splayed open on the side and sort of, you know, uh, distorted. you're saying
0: saying the descriptions don't fit the picture?
1: Not even close. Chief autopsy surgeon uh, Dr. Hume said that uh, two-thirds of Jack Kennedy's right cerebral lobe, the largest lobe of the brain, was missing. And that certainly fits all the other descriptions from the FBI agents and other witnesses who were there. There's virtually no brain missing You can tell by looking at the original autopsy photographs, and I've seen them. Even the autopsy photographer who took the uh, brain photographs said, these are photographs I didn't take. And he was the recorded official autopsy photographer. And he knew that because the type of film and the style of film that was used isn't film that he used.
0: Sounds like the medical evidence is not uh, terribly reliable. It seems to be uh, questionable, possibly tainted.
1: There's been so much apparent butchery of this evidence that... Uh, Uh, The the tampering of the evidence suggests that there was a conspiracy, if nothing else, uh, at least there was a cover-up afterward.
0: My last question would be, what would you you point to as clearest evidence for a conspiracy? You you believe there was one. What was the clearest evidence for that if the medical evidence is so difficult to uh, decipher?
1: Well, I I think the medical evidence makes it clear that Oswald didn't act alone. I mean, at least that you can come away with with a very high degree of certainty. Okay. the, the, The reason... Uh, you know, th- for thinking uh, more law conspiratorial lines have to do with uh, the man who was Oswald. I mean, here's a guy who's supposed to be a co- an ardent communist who, six weeks before the assassination, is being impersonated in tape recordings made in Mexico City. Yeah. Um, how does a guy who's a lone nut that's supposed to have no friends uh, find himself being impersonated uh, in calls made to the Russian embassy six weeks before the assassination, calls that, t- that seem to tie him... To the guy that's in charge of assassinations for the KGB in the Western Hemisphere,
0: it seemed, well, is the evidence for that now seems to be quite clear. I uh, would...
1: You know, pretty incontrovertible. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is a guy who's not supposed to have known anybody. He was a loner. He was he had no good friends, and yet here he is being impersonated in tape recordings. And then there's a whole bunch of lying that's gone on about that. Yeah, uh, the tapes that he that he's supposed to have been on disappeared, and. uh... Uh, and the Warren Commission actually listened to the tapes. They, they couldn't find even a footnote in 27 volumes to slip in word that they'd listened to a tape recording of a guy calling himself Oswald, calling a Russian embassy six weeks before the assassination. Which
0: is a rather curious omission.
1: Uh, you, know, m- you know, given that they reported to the public they'd released all the evidence that they'd, uh, that they'd collected, whether they agreed with it or not, it was a, an astounding admission.
0: Now, we just, in our last segment, we're, talk, we're talking with Jane Rosconi about, uh, about Oliver Stone's movie now. Uh, would you say that, um, uh, co- comment on that for just a brief minute about Garrison's case about what Oswald was doing in, in New Orleans.
1: Well, the, the Oswald in New Orleans story is a fascinating story because here is a guy who's supposed to be this ardent communist, right? He has no leftist friends. He has only right-wing friends. He doesn't hang out with leftists. He's supposed to be the, uh, a member of and the chairman of the Fair Play for Cuba committee. Well, it was a one-man committee that he started himself. He kept its pamphlets for the uh, committee uh, at the office of a former FBI agent who was working uh, in anti-Castro op- operations at the time, a guy named Guy Bannister. Uh, he uh, managed to uh, have a peculiar friends, uh, a fellow named David Ferry, who's gotten a lot of press in the film JFK. The guy with no eyebrows and very strange habits. Uh, uh, And so the supposed leftist is traveling in circles uh, with only anti-Castro zealot right-wingers.
0: He did seem to keep odd company for a supposed Marxist.
1: You know, I mean, there's another way of looking at Oswald, and and there are a couple of people who've written eloquently about this, uh, a professor, Philip Melanson, wrote a book called Spy Saga, and John Newman wrote uh, a book called uh, Oswald and the CIA, and Peter Dale Scott perhaps wrote the definitive uh, book uh, on on the subject uh, Deep Politics and the Death of JFK, and on a close inspection of Oswald's legend, it appears to be just that, a legend. He was being sort of paraded around as a leftist, but all his connections were to you know, American right-wing, perhaps intelligence-connected groups—same uh, group of people that were involved in the uh, uh, in the attempts to kill Castro and so on and so forth. It just doesn't make any sense that a guy who uh, has no true leftist friends is himself is himself a true leftist. I mean, yeah. Well, it's a very curious thing. The CIA's reaction has always been one of panic when the Kennedy assassination name comes up. I mean, even as recently as. Uh, about five or six years ago, uh, former heads of the CIA were meeting to deal with what they were going to do with revelations that might come out of the files. Well, if they have nothing to hide, which they have always said they don't have anything to hide, why are they so worried? Why are they orchestrating, even now, nearly four years after the fact, uh, some kind of a protective uh, 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 cover-your-rear-end arrangements? I mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense.
0: Well, Dr. Gary Aguilar, thanks so much for talking to us about this topic. Uh, it's unfortunate the medical evidence does seem to be such a mess.
1: You know, there is a way of looking at it, and that is, if in a clean case where the evidence hasn't been tampered with, the closer you look at it, the clearer things become. Yeah. When a case has been tampered with, the closer you look at it, the fuzzier it becomes. And if there's one thing that's true about the Kennedy case, the closer you look at this evidence, the fuzzier it becomes. And that only proves to me that this evidence has been tampered in some way, and exactly how is something we'll probably never know.
0: Again, Dr. Aguilar, thanks so much. I know you're going to go to a conference uh, in in Pennsylvania this weekend, and perhaps uh, uh, you can come back in December and tell us uh, what, if anything, uh, uh, was earth-shaking and new that came out of that, because I imagine there might be something.
1: I I think it's going to be an extremely interesting event, and uh, I'm looking forward to it.
0: All right, well, thanks again. Thank you
1: so much for having me.
0: Well, that about does it for today's show. Uh, 1963 is fading into history, and until this anniversary loomed, I would not reviewed this stuff for years. And that's not because I don't think it's relevant any longer, but because more recent official lies and misconduct in other areas I think are more critical. Things like stopping the vote count in Florida to appoint George W. Bush president. Things like the Bush administration wanting to spend hundreds of billions of dollars on a so-called missile defense shield while denying a few hundred million to try and stop terrorists from doing things like crash airplanes into skyscrapers. Things like saying that there are weapons of mass destruction out there that Iraq could imminently be using against the U.S. as a justification for war. That sort of thing. So, um, you know, we're proud to bring you people like Ambassador Joseph Wilson on this program to, to talk about the fact that he advised the administration that the story about Niger and the yellow cake was not true. we were proud to bring you people like Greg Palast to talk about election chicanery in Florida and what's currently going on uh, with uh, all sorts of political corruption around the world. And we're proud to bring you people like Dennis Kucinich, one of the few people in Congress to have voted against giving George Bush the uh, authority he needed to go into this war against Iraq. And I'm sorry to say I am out of time. This is Douglas Everett. And listening to Radio Parallax, our thanks once again to Jane Rusconi, to Dr. Gary Aguilar, and to our old friend Stuart Gardner. We'll see you next Thursday, Thanksgiving, for a special holiday program. Stay tuned for Todd.